Jim Batchelor thinks he can do that, huh? I don't think you could have done that when you were eight. So, hey, y'all, we are uh, in this uh, sermon series that's entitled <clears throat> God's Heart for the World. Uh, we're taking a look at Ezekiel uh, through this time, his ministry, his prophecies, uh, God's heart for the world. And uh, so we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 14. Uh, feel free to open your Bibles to Ezekiel 14. We're going to take some time uh, to talk through uh, what Ezekiel was facing. So let's begin in a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we, uh, we are just grateful uh, to be here in your house, grateful for the songs that have been sung, uh, grateful for our hearts that we have uh, poured out to you in song. And it's a time where we gather around just to listen to your word, to allow your word to pierce our hearts, to guide and lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit that you have generously given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray with grateful hearts and with worshipful hearts in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we uh, really got into the life of Ezekiel and specifically his calling. And if you remember, I specifically said that Ezekiel was a symbolic pastor. He was a symbolic prophet. He lived in such a way that spoke God's words to the people. He was a physical symbol. If you remember, he, he cut his beard and he cut his hair to kind of communicate how God was dealing with his people. Once he laid on his side for 390 days as a physical symbol, as speaking to the people about how long they would be in exile. Even as weird as all of that sounds, whether you're laying on your side for 390 days or cutting your beard to make a point, he wasn't unique. He wasn't the only prophet to speak in such a symbolic way through physical ways. There was a prophet by the name of Hosea who lived 100 years before Ezekiel. And the book of Hosea begins in this way. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and marry a promiscuous woman. What? Have children for her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Did you hear why God told him to do that? He wanted to communicate to his people that just like this promiscuous woman, you have been unfaithful to God. You have been unfaithful to God. And we're guilty of unfaithfulness. Hosea's wife would be unfaithful to Hosea. Gomer would leave him to go back into the life of prostitution. And God said in Hosea chapter 3, just two chapters later, 
The Lord said to me, go and show love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods, though they love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her, we're told. Jose bought her for 15 shekels of silver, but a homer and a lethok of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me many days. You're not to be a prostitute anymore or to be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Even though she was loved by Hosea and had a life with Hosea, she was enticed to leave him. And even though she left him, Hosea was willing to pay the price to be with her again. This, my friends, is the way that God communicates to his unfaithful people. He continues to love. He continues to try to entice us back to his heart. A hundred years before Ezekiel, Hosea writes similar words that we find right here because Judah is living in the same promiscuous way and they are now in exile because of their spiritual prostitution. You think they had learned their lesson or the lesson that Israel had to learn. You think that they would remain faithful to God. But what we find here in Ezekiel chapter 14 is that even in exile, there's still this spiritual prostitution happening. So let's start in verse 1 and kind of walk through God's conversation with Ezekiel, Ezekiel's conversation with these elders. Some of the elders of Israel came to me, and they sat down in front of me, and the word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel. He said, Son of man, these men, these elders, they have set up Idols in their hearts have put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I even let them? Should I let them inquire me at all? What do you think was going on here? We're not given a clear detail on what was going on inside their hearts, okay? We're not told specifically what was going on. But why do you think these guys sat down with Ezekiel? Well, based on God's word, they wanted to inquire of God. Maybe they wanted to know how long was this exile going to take? When do we get to go home to Jerusalem? Maybe they wanted to know what was happening in Jerusalem. Maybe the conflict would end, Jerusalem would win, and they would get to go back home. And they came to Ezekiel that day saying the right things, hoping to get an honest answer. And an honest answer they got. They didn't expect what was about to take place that day. They did not expect what Ezekiel was about to tell them. Because even though you say the right things, your heart can still be far from God. It reminds me of the rich young ruler that we talked about in Sunday school today in Mark chapter 10. 
The gospel tells us that he fell on his knees before Jesus Christ. And he cried out, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you remember the story, Jesus told them a few commandments. Keep the commandments of God. And the rich young ruler, he acknowledged that he had kept all the commands of God, even since he was a young boy. Jesus doesn't even question him. He does not question him on that. But he responds in Mark 10, 21. There's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It's the only disciple Jesus called that did not follow him. He walked away sad. Do you hear what he's calling He knew he said the right things. You know, even, he not only said the right things, he did the right things. And I'm sure as those disciples listened, based on their conversation with Jesus, when they were like, well, who then can be saved? They knew that this rich young ruler, this man was a good guy. Have you heard that phrase before? Man, he's a good guy. But Jesus looked deeper. He knew his heart. He knew who he was really worshiping. He knew about his spiritual prostitution. God knows our hearts. We can say the right things. We can do the right things. But God knows who we really love. God knows who we really follow. All right, let's get back to these elders in verse 4. Therefore, God says, speak to them and tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up a, a stumbling block before his face, I'm sorry, I skipped a line. When any Israelite sets up idols in his hearts and puts a wicked, wicked stumbling block before his face, and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for idols. Therefore, say this to the house of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent, turn from your idols, renounce your detestable practices. When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his hearts and puts wicked stumbling blocks before his face, then goes to a prophet to inquire me, I, the Lord, will answer him. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword, and I'll cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Now, once again, I'm not sure what they expected God to say, but I'm pretty sure this wasn't it. I very much doubt they came looking for a repent 
or I'm going to cut you off. But that's what God said. You're going to get a word from me, but it's judgment. God said he was going to set his face against them. What's that mean? Well, first of all, the phrase should bring the Israelites back to the original promises of God in Leviticus. He gave them rules to live by. Follow those rules, God says, and I will bless you. But Leviticus 26 says, otherwise, I'll set my face against them. And Ezekiel loves this phrase. God uses this phrase many times through his prophet Ezekiel, seven or eight times throughout the whole of the book. It means to oppose someone. It's the opposite of a blessing. A blessing maybe that you would find in Numbers chapter 6, when God says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord what? Make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord will turn his face towards you. He'll give you peace. You see, when God turns his face towards something, we experience peace, prosperity. We experience life and abundance. So the opposite should be true if he sets his face against you, right? Darkness, despair. My oldest son, Eli, is now in seventh grade, starting to get involved in extracurricular activities. And Thursday morning, I had a conversation with him about when I learned about what a balanced life looks like. I didn't have a balanced high school career until my senior year. Up till then, I was in show choir, I was in jazz choir, I was in the plays and the musicals, I was in speech club, I played men's volleyball, and I was the mascot for our athletic department. I was a busy guy. Let me give you a picture of my typical Monday morning. I would leave the house at 7.30 a.m. and I would come home at 9.30 p.m. That was my typical Monday with all the practice and extracurricular activities. Keep this short and tell you that my senior year, I lived with my youth minister. My youth minister had different boundaries than my parents had, and he told me that's going to stop. He set his face against me and against my ridiculous schedule, and it made me sad. Like the rich young ruler, I was upset that I couldn't keep everything that I wanted. But with the sacrifices my youth minister asked me to make, I was able actually to enjoy life again. I was so busy with stuff. God turning his face against these elders, it wasn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It was actually an opportunity. Let's reread verse 5 and then read on 9 through 11. Verse 5 says, I will do this. To do what? To recapture 
the hearts of the people of Israel. And in verse 9, it says, The prophet is enticed to utter a prophecy. The Lord have enticed that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him. I'm going to destroy him from among the people of Israel. They will bear their guilt. The prophet will be guilty as the one who consults him. This is the prophet who is false. And the people of Israel will no longer stray from me, nor will they defile themselves anymore with all their sins. They will be my people, and I will be their God, declares the sovereign Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying if the false prophet doesn't speak my word, which is I'm going to set my face against you, I'm going to cut that guy off. Because here's the reality. That word to set his face against them, that kind of punishment is done so the people of God will no longer stray, is what he says. I want them to no longer stray. I want to entice their hearts. I want to recapture. He wants to be their God again. Just like Hosea said to his wife, I want you back in my arms, no longer in the arms of strangers. You see, God gets jealous for his people, right? It's all the way back in Exodus chapter 20, you can read about uh, speaking about idols. He said, you shouldn't bow down to them. You shouldn't worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And if you think about it, couples here, if you think about this, right? You've had these kind of conversations before, right? I feel like I'm competing for, fill in the blank, your time, I'm competing against golf. I'm competing against UT sports. I'm competing against your shopping. I'm competing against your job. I'm competing against video games. I can't expect to have intimacy with my wife if she is fighting for me and vice versa, right? In the same way, in the same way, I can't expect to have intimacy with my wife if I've got a mistress. It's all spiritual prostitution. God wants to be number one. And as a jealous God, he doesn't want to compete. He wants to recapture your heart. There's a pastor who shared this story. He said, a few years ago, I was working at Qatar. I was installing a newsroom set for an Al Jazeera TV. I've been there for nearly a month. I was ready to go home. He said, I couldn't describe to you how badly I missed my family. We were almost done with the set, and there was one more thing to be done. Uh, snake a long strip of plexiglass into the large central news desk. We encountered some problems. My friend Dean, one of the most best and innovative carpenters I've ever seen, came up with a new plan. And he said, this is what the pastor said. He said, before we tried it, I prayed, please, Lord, make this work. I want to go home. He said, we began on that plan, and it worked perfectly. And he said, I shouted, Dean, you're the man. 
What do you think happened next? It broke. He said we were there for hours longer. And he was taught a lesson that day. This simple story reminds me of how carelessly we approach our God. Just like these elders who approached Ezekiel, we are eager to get what we want, right? Maybe it's peace in our workplace. Maybe it's healing from our loved ones. Maybe it's just healthy and happy kids. There's nothing wrong with asking God for such things. But maybe, just maybe, we need to take some moments to examine our hearts. God wants to shine his face upon you. But he doesn't want to compete. He wants all of you. He doesn't want to share his affection with your job. He doesn't want to share affection with your hobby. He doesn't even want to share affection with your family. God wants all of you. And he promises that he will shine his face upon you. And because of the bread and juice that we take together today, we are reminded that Jesus Christ died so that you could have forgiveness for this kind of spiritual prostitution. We know, because of the promises of God, that if we repent and come back to God, we have forgiveness in His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection, we have new power and new life. Let go. Let go of what is holding you back from complete commitment to God and allow the resurrected Jesus Christ to transform your life today. Father, we pray these things, asking that you will make us aware of what we're holding on to, Speak these words to us, the same words that you spoke to Ezekiel, that you will open our eyes, Lord, to your truth, that you will open our eyes, Lord, to what is holding us back. Father, our desire this morning is to give you everything, to worship, to honor to celebrate you. So reveal in us and give us a clean heart, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.